This is Wide Open, a series on how to embrace change and challenge your ways of thinking so you can level up your life, open up to new experiences, and pay it forward to those who need it. I'm your host, Tony Gonzalez. A big part of this show is about talking to people who are legends, the unparalleled goats of their field and craft. And today's guest, he's exactly that. Since he went pro at age 14, this guy has put the sport of skateboarding on the map, turning it into a worldwide movement that it is today. He's pioneered never before dreamed of tricks that raised and reinvented the bar, inspiring a generation of skaters to hop on their board and get to work. And through his era-defining video games, skate company, and a clothing line, he helped turn skateboarding into the multi-billion dollar business it is today. You probably know who we're talking about by now, the one and only, the Birdman, Tony Hawk. We talked about the importance of finding your own style, dealing with the haters, and the craziest thing he's ever done on a skateboard, which is crazy, by the way. Let's get wide open. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Tony Gonzalez. Welcome to the next episode of Wide Opened. Today, I am joined by somebody I looked up to when I was younger, even though you're not that much older than me, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I was a skateboarder when I was a kid. And if you're a skateboarder growing up in the 80s and early 90s, um, this guy was God. I'm talking about Tony Hawk. Oh, thank you. You you were you were the Michael Jordan of skateboarding um, when when we were shoot. I think still are. You're you're the guy who's who's looked up uh, like that. And me being from Huntington Beach. Doing, you know, growing up surfing, growing up skateboarding. Uh, this is an interview I, I am, I'm, I'm really happy to have. So thank you for well, uh, for making the trek up. It was an honor to be invited. Thank you. <laughs> um, so going back, I always like to talk with the, you know get people's backstory. And I, you're from San Diego, right? Yeah. And it's born and raised out there. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, what was it about skateboarding? How did you get into skateboarding? Because I got to believe I, I don't I don't want to give your age away. But uh, do you mind telling your age? I'm 51. Okay. So. I'm, I'm proud of it. I don't care. <laughs> you look good for 51. Jeez. Um, so you're 51. So really, you're kind of at the beginning of when skateboarding started. Um, right? Am it, I right about yeah, that? Yeah, it didn't feel that way to me because when I started, I started because of my older brother, he was a surfer. Uh-huh. Uh, he's 13 years older than me. And he he started skating because surfing was uh, skating was an extension of surfing in the mid seventies. That the whole Dogtown era was they were just trying to emulate their surfing, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I got into it, I got into it in the late 70s because he gave me one of his old boards. So I felt like it in terms of, you know, my young eyes, I thought I got into it late uh -huh. because it was kind of on the way out. It was like, it was super cool. It was like 75 to 78, you know, it was like the thing to do. Uh -huh. It was almost like, it was like yo-yo trend. Really? Yeah. Because you, you like, didn't think it was going to last? It, it, was uh, it wasn't that I didn't think it was a last. I just didn't think that I was there at the beginning. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? But I was thankful because there were all these things established about skating when I got into it, including skating pools. And that's what I was drawn to. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Because I saw these guys flying, like they were literally flying above the lip. And, and I thought, that's what I want to do. And that, uh -huh. that was my wow moment. And how old were you at that point? Um, 10. So you're 10, you get on a skateboard. And I get on a skateboard. It wasn't, it wasn't that, um, it, it wasn't so empowering to me. It wasn't like I had this, this huge moment that I, this epiphany when I was on my skateboard, it was, I learned how to ride it. I, I would go around with my friends. We used it for transportation mostly. Uh -huh. And then someone invited me with them to the skate park. And there were very few skate parks back then. So when I went to the skate park and that's when I saw people in action flying around, that was when it hit me. Like, I want to do that. Uh-huh. And when you first got on, was it like a, a natural thing? Or are you saying, man, this is no, not like at all. A I, I, for me, I, no, I was, I, I, I took to it. Like I, I figured out how to roll and, and maneuver, but I, I wouldn't say I was good right away. Uh -huh. um, I, in fact, the very first time I stepped on a skateboard, I didn't know how to turn. So I ended up running into the fence at the end of our alley and getting splinters in my hands. Uh -huh. <laughs> so do you believe in natural talent? Do you, do you... Sure. Yeah. I've seen, I've definitely seen people, I've seen people get on skateboard or otherwise, or even maybe snowboarding and, and they just have it. Yeah. And so I, I don't know if it's natural talent for all things, but for sure there's something there that speaks to them and they immediately get it. Uh -huh. um, and I've definitely seen people pick up skateboarding and suddenly just have this sense of how their body should be moving uh -huh. or a sort of a sixth sense of, of spatial awareness and, and, 
it doesn't take that, but it definitely will accelerate your, you know, your learning curve. Uh huh. Yeah. So when when you're starting out, and I'm I'm always fascinated to hear. I don't care what it is uh, for, like acting or, or or specifically sports. How many hours were you on that skateboard from the beginning? Like right when you when you started to really get into it. Uh, well, I, I would rely my brother was in college by then. So I would rely on him to give me the skate park once a week. Uh-huh. He would drive down from, um, he was in Santa Barbara, actually. He would come down once a week and take me. And that was like my day on Thursdays. That was my day to go to the skate park with my brother. Uh-huh. Um, and then I started going much more frequently, finally convinced my dad to start taking me. And, and so I spent after school, I went to straight to the park. In fact, I figured out which bus route got closest to the skate park uh-huh. and I would get on that bus and then I would be at, at the skate park after school until probably seven or eight o'clock. Uh-huh. So a good four to five hours a day, a usually, day. if not more. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then uh-huh. on weekends, all day. All day. Yeah. And that was, it wasn't like uh, you're working hard, you know, like uh, it was because you just, you just love yeah, it, Yeah, right? well, there, <laughs> that was the thing about skateboarding. It was, it was such a small industry and such a small community that- you weren't striving to be rich or famous because no one was richer. Uh-huh. There was no career in it. And, and I was lucky enough that, that I fell into it when I was young. And so I, I had this sense of invincibility that, well, I wasn't, I wasn't choosing a career anyway. Mm-hmm. I can do this through high school until I finally have to, whatever, get a job or whatnot. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it just so happens that around the time I was about to graduate high school is when things started really taking off. Uh-huh. And that was, so you started around 10, by 14, you were pro. Yeah, but that's another thing. That's sort of a, um, there's a lot of misconceptions about that because at the time, like I said, skateboarding was very small. Mm-hmm. To be pro just meant that you checked the pro box on the, on the entry form <laughs> of the competition instead of the amateur box. That uh, was it. Like, that was really it. Really? <laughs> there, was no, there was no company that, you didn't have to wait for a company to support you. you didn't You weren't getting a contract. Uh-huh. No one was making promises. Like there was no, there was no guarantee that I was going to get a pro model, so to speak. Uh-huh. It was just like, I had reached the top of the amateur ranks and where do I go from there? I have to go pro. Yeah. And suddenly I'm competing with guys that are five and 10 years older than me. And I was competing for a $150 first place prize. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was it. Like, yeah. How, how was it? That's so funny because you know, you, the world of, of acting for child actors Right. So it's not like you went pro. It's not like you were in the public eye. No, I, well, the, like, the hey, funny thing is I kind of had to hide that when I was in high school because if you said you were a pro skater, that's equivalent of being a pro yo-yo player or frisbee uh-huh. player. You know what I mean? They just were like, what? Uh-huh. <laughs> but like, why, why would you even claim that? <laughs> well, that's not, that's, yeah. that's not cool. It really wasn't cool. And uh-huh. so I kind of just was a, was a ghost in school and I used to hide, literally hide my skateboard um, when I would get school so that no one knew that that was really my thing. Uh-huh. Did you play in other sports? Yeah, I played, um, I played baseball and basketball. Uh, in fact, I played them both until I was 11. And the year that I quit Little League, I quit halfway through the season. Uh-huh. And it was the exact year that my, they appointed my dad president of the Little League of our, <laughs> of our area. <laughs> Disappointment. And, and I quit. Yeah, it was, an, it was a very awkward conversation. The old man's like, come on, Tony. He was actually really supportive. He knew yeah. that I, he, he could tell that that's really where I was, I was leaning towards. And at one point he picked me up from the skate park. I mean, this is such a movie scene, but he picked me up from the skate park and I didn't want to leave. He's like, we, we, have, we have baseball practice. You've got you to come. You, you know, the team is waiting. And I, I realized as we pull up to practice, I still have my skate pads on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't want to be here. Yeah, I don't. I want to keep skating. Yeah, and that was that was when I had to have that conversation with him. So, so you said your father was a big support for you when you decided to do. Um, he skating. was. I mean, was, surprisingly, he actually finished out his year as little league president <laughs> um, without me there. Was he the guy though that that kind of? So who was your mentor? Did did you um, have one when you were you were younger? Was he your older brother? Was it, was it your father? I, it was it was a combination. Definitely my, my older brother for getting me into it. My my mom and dad just for being supportive of me doing something that was very unorthodox. It was just very uh, off, off the beaten path. It was not something that seemed like it was gonna have a bright future. It was not something that any of my other parents, my other friends' parents wanted them doing. 
And I got lucky that my parents were, I was the youngest of four and it was kind of like, they were just happy that I was busy mm-hmm. and not bugging them for the most part. Yeah. And so uh, it, was, it was definitely my mom that instilled in me that I could, I could do it. If, if I really enjoyed it, I should just keep doing it. Uh-huh. Regardless of, of kids in my school and what they say about me or regardless of even the skate community, because I was so small, I had this kind of weird style. So I was get, getting panned in the skate community which was super isolating because I, I found my I found my crew, huh. you know, in this little isolated bubble of skate culture, and then I was an outcast in that in in that outcast activity. Uh huh. Um, you, you, why were you an outcast? Just because I was I was really small, and and it was the, the whole skating was all about style back then. It was how you know it was flow. It was surfing. It was yeah. it was Dogtown and Z Boys. I was this little scrawny kid that was just sort of maneuvering my board and they, they called them circus tricks, uh-huh. but that's all I really had. Cause I didn't have the strength or the experience to be one of those cool guys. Uh-huh. And so I was this little kid and then I just figured out like, Oh, I can do this little thing with my board in the air. Uh-huh. And I learned how to spin this way and, and do something the other way. And the one who really took notice of that was Stacy Peralta. And he, so if I had a mentor, truly it was Stacy uh-huh. because he was the one that, recognized that I was doing something unique. He recognized that it was progressive, if not evolutionary. And he put me on a team of what I thought was the absolute best skaters in the world. Uh-huh. So, so oh, take me back though. So you're, you're doing moves that you're saying that nobody else was doing. And because of that, it made you an outcast. Yeah, yeah. Because and, it was a whole new style of skating and it was, it was more trick oriented. So how do you... That that's great. I love hearing that because, first of all, what was it in you that said, "Hey, I'm going to do some 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 shit that nobody else is doing"? I didn't really think of it that way. I just was I I was struggling to figure out how to skateboard at my size and at my skill level. Uh-huh. And at some point, I started looking magazines, and there was one particular skater. Uh, his name is Eddie Algera, who was doing tricks that no one else was doing, and really like stuff that that people thought was impossible back then. Mm-hmm. And he got credit for it, but it wasn't the cool thing to do. And I was looking at him like, I want to learn those tricks. Like uh-huh. that's, that's badass. That, that stuff seems really tricky. And so I started learning his tricks on the smallest bowls in the park that I was growing up skating in. Mm-hmm. And, and eventually figured out how to do that stuff in the bigger bowls. And that's what got me sponsored because I could do frontside rock and rolls. Uh-huh. And that's Eddie Algaris trick. And some pros can't even do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I just focused on that kind of thing. And, and I think it was just more that I didn't realize at the time, but I was finding my style and my voice through doing tricks and, and, and um, learning how to uh, learning how to add on to the tricks I'm learning. So like I learned a frontside rock, then I frontside rock and all his trick. I learned how to do a variation of that that no one had done before. And I, I'll never forget. I was at an amateur event Marina Del Rey skate park, like one of the most intimidating places when you're 11, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's where, it's where the Dogtown Z boys were skating. Mm-hmm. I'm 11 years old, little kid from San Diego. And I went and in my run, did this trick. It's, it's called a windshield wiper now, but it's basically this, this sort of variation of a frontside rock. And I'll never forget. I did that trick at the end of my run. I didn't place well because the rest of my run wasn't great, but I looked over at Eddie Algaro was in the small bowl trying to learn my trick. Uh-huh. And that was a huge <laughs> moment for me. I mean, I saw it like a corner of my eye and it was still in disbelief. I was like, is that Eddie Algaris trying my, that's crazy. Uh-huh. And when you see that, the, what does that, what does I mean, that tell it, you it gives about you, it, you? It definitely gives you a sense of validation uh-huh. at a time when I was really vulnerable and, and really um, intimidated. And, and at that point I was like, well, if, if my hero skater is trying the trick that I just created, something's going right. Yeah. You're like, I, I think I got something going on. Yeah. And it wasn't even, it wasn't even like, I'm going to be a star. It was like, well, I'm finally, getting, I finally got some validation yeah. and some recognition from the one person that I would absolutely have wanted it from. Yeah. Um, you know, not, not directly, but the fact that I saw that, I, you know, it was a big deal to me. And, and, and it kept, I guess it, it gave me enough confidence to keep forging ahead with new tricks. Uh-huh. Even when, I mean, this a little bit down the line, um, I started winning events and that's when I eventually turned pro and I'll never forget. I won this one event and Thrasher magazine, 
basically just in, panned me in the article about their event. Cause it was like, oh, Tony Hawk went flying around and grabbing his board all the different ways and, you know, doing these really weird tricks and, and he won cause you know, someone bailed. It was kind of like that. Like that uh -huh. was their take on it. Yeah. And it was, it was hard. It was hard to deal with. Like, so when you, yeah. So how did you deal with the, with the critics or with the haters? I, is, is, is we I call think them. I, I had just found my crew. I found some, some friends that skated that were like-minded that, that, that was their focus too, was the whole, was, was doing new tricks. And I, I think that something in me, like I knew the way that, the way that I did my, um, aerials at the time was very different than anyone else was doing them because I, I literally would, I mean, it's, it's weird now because everyone knows what Ollie is, but I would literally Ollie into my aerial. So I'd Ollie first, then grab it later. And because I was doing that, I was able to go higher even though I was smaller uh -huh. and no one had done airs like that before. They would all reach down, grab their board before they left the lip of the, of the bowl and basically lose all their speed in doing so. But that was the only way anyone really knew how to do it. Yeah. And so that was what Thrasher said. Like, well, Tony Hawk cheats when he does errors because he ollies into them. Yeah. Like cheating? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know you could cheat in skateboarding. Yeah. But sure, okay, I cheat. I'm excited because I can grab my board all these different ways. Uh -huh. And, and there, th I can do five different errors in a run. So I had friends that, that were, were doing the same thing and recognizing that as something new. Uh -huh. And something that was progressive. And so I think it was just more that I, I, I found my crew. I had enough validation there. Yeah, it was hard to get dissed in Thrasher magazine. Like, the, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, the Bible of skateboarding. Yeah. But at the same time, it was like, I think, I think what happened was not long after that, Thrasher said, well, he's only good when he skates his home park. Mm. And that, in my head, that triggered, that, that lit a fire. Okay. And I said, right. I'm going to go learn how to skate everywhere else. And so I went and made an effort to go to these different parks and learn how to skate those pools and the ones that were in the main competition. And at some point I won an event at Upland and Upland was considered the gnarliest pool. And that was kind of when I shut them all down. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, I love that though. You're, you're saying you, you find a crew that you guys can kind of support each other, I guess, right? Sure, and, yeah. And, and it was just kind of like, we, we loved it too much. Like I said, there was no... There was no future. There was no career in it. Uh -huh. and, and I had my friends, they were all, you know, we were all roughly 13, 14, 15. And it was like, oh, we got together and look at this new one. Uh -huh. Oh, what if you turn this way? Oh, cool. And that was uh -huh. kind of it. Uh, you know, that, that, it's actually surprising to me that, because the culture of skateboarding is kind of counterculture. Like it's, it's, uh, it's, flamboyant it's kind it, of breaking the rules it it's is kind well of pushing it's, the I, I would say that that it, it's gotten much more diverse much more inclusive mm -hmm. back then it was like you had to you had to fit in even though skating was counterculture you had to fit into the counterculture mm -hmm. you know there was there was an irony there and at some point i was like i just want to do it this way i like doing it this way and i don't want to have to dress this this one way and and do it you know, do it in some, in some cookie cutter fashion. And um, I think the best part of that for me was that it set me up later on for haters of all kinds. Uh -huh. Because eventually things got crazy. Things got big. Like I, I was doing video games and, and making millions of dollars and, and everyone called me a sellout. Yeah. And I just thought I, I would have been doing this stuff any day of the week when I was 14, if they had been offered to me uh -huh. to do a video game, that would have been the dream. Yeah. I loved video games. Yeah. And so when, when they're calling you sellout, it's like, you have no idea what I, what I was doing to just scrape by uh -huh. as a skateboarder, especially into my twenties. Like when things took a turn and it was, it was really hard. Like I was starting a family. It was almost impossible to pay the rent with my royalty checks, which uh -huh. were get, getting cut in half every month. And so it, like I said, it prepared me for that. And then, and then eventually that prepared me for social media. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh -huh. Because the people th that are talking shit on social media, it's like, you can't get to me. Uh -huh. I used to get that stuff written about me in magazines and said to my face, like you hide behind some anonymous Twitter name. I don't care. Uh -huh. Well, everybody who, who comes on this show, all these movers and shakers, people like yourself, they have that in them. 
that that fearlessness, that ability to say, screw it. I don't care what you're saying. I'm going to keep doing what I feel is in my heart and I'm going to keep going at it. Uh, if you could put a finger on that, where, how, how do you teach that to somebody else? What do you tell to somebody well, to say, how do you not give a shit? I, I have to say, I learned it the hard way. Uh-huh. I learned it through doing something that I love and being chastised for it. Mm-hmm. And I loved it too much to quit. Um, there's plenty, I'm sure there are plenty of people that someone said something negative about what they were doing and that was it. That was the end of it for them. Yeah. They usually quit. Um, a lot of people quit sure. and say, all right, screw it. But, yeah. I, th- I think didn't. it's just more that how much do you truly enjoy it? And are you willing to, to ignore those comments or ignore mm. that kind of stuff? I mean, it, you know, the people who make it the furthest in their careers for sure are the ones who just l- did not listen to all that ridiculous noise. Uh-huh. Um, and I, did, I can't say I had an overwhelming amount of it, but I had enough of it that it gave me a sense of hardness. Uh-huh. And, you know, you don't want to be callous. You don't want to be uh-huh. this, this robot. But at some point it's like, I love doing this. I'm doing this. Yeah. And if you don't like it, I can't help you. Screw you. Yeah. And I, I, I've learned that the, the hard way too. And I think, I think sometimes, and I'm really seeing this, that, you kind of have to go through that hard time sure. to develop that tough exterior. Yeah, you can pretend to be tough all you want, but if you really aren't put to the test, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna last. So let's talk about that test because you just mentioned it a little bit. You said your royalty checks got cut in half in, in 1991. Yeah, skateboard kind of disappeared a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it was it was rough, and and, and the hardest part was that I was 91. Let's see, I was uh, 20. Three, right? Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, things were, uh, everything was crashing down. Mm-hmm. And it was like, we had this crazy wave of success in our late teens. And when you get that kind of success at that kind of age, it can be very damaging and it can be very, uh, you, you have a false sense of reality and you think it's never gonna end. Mm-hmm. And so for sure, I was living like it was never gonna end at the time in the late eighties. I was like, yeah, I would buy this and I'll buy a tanning bed and yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna get you know the most expensive car. And then all of a sudden it was like, wait, what happened? Uh-huh. It's all gone. And quickly, very quickly. Um, and I'm, I'm thankful to have gone through that, especially to get through another second wave of success that was way bigger. But in those days, I basically just did, did everything I could to get by, but still skate. Uh-huh. And I think that's when I realized that I love this so much. I'll do it at, at no cost. I'll do it just for the sake of doing it uh. or for the sake of just getting by because I love this job. This is like, this is the dream job. Even at its, even at its worst, mm-hmm. it's the best thing I could do. So when you're going, because that was 1991 and the reemergence, I guess, didn't come to years later, uh, yeah, right? Yeah, probably it, closer to 96, 95, 96. So there, yeah. there's a, a good handful of years right there. That, yeah, it was what lean. Were you, it was, what were you doing during that lean. time? Um, well, I, uh, <laughs> I probably what seemed like a, the craziest decision was I started a skateboard company, but that was because I sensed that skateboarding was cyclical. It was probably going to come back around at least enough to sustain a business. And I'm too old to be a pro skater. Like that was the attitude when you were 23 or 24, it was like, you're done. It's over. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's only for teenagers. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, well, I still, I still love skating. I would love to nurture a new team and pick my own talent and go from there and and start a direction. So I started a skate company. We scraped by for probably three years. Uh, I was, I mean, this is something I've written about many times, but I was on a Taco Bell and Top Ramen diet for probably a good two years. Really? Also, it was bad. Like you, you're- yeah, and so and I and uh, I sold my house. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, took out the sec. I took out a second mortgage on the house to start my skate company, and then sold the house for for what it was worth. Um, so I didn't make any money on the house necessarily. Moved back into a much smaller place. Um, the duplex was the, the first place that I owned. And like I said, I was just, just kind of doing it, living very lean, but also getting, taking any job I could that involved skating. Uh-huh. So what that meant was at one point I was a um, consultant on a TV commercial. 
You know, it yeah. was just more like, well, we need to know what's possible. Can you come up and show us? And then when the talent gets here, and I was like, talent, I could do the talent thing, but okay. Yeah. You know, because I was old. Yeah. And uh, I designed basically a set that would work for a skater. Uh-huh. That, that was a job I got, uh-huh. you know? And so I worked on that for a week. Um, another time I uh, did skate exhibitions in um, the parking lot of an amusement park, three a day, hundred bucks a day. <laughs> like as people were walking in, they would walk by the ramp and see us skating. And you know, it was me and some rollerbladers and a bike dude. And that, that paid the bills. You know, so, did that for 10 days. When you're going through something like that, though, I mean, that's, that sounds like that's rock bottom to me. Um, I, I mean, it does, but, but at the same time, I knew skating without ever getting paid. I loved okay. it as a kid. I never got paid at, at all for it. So, so you were always positive throughout that whole time. Yeah, it wasn't like a well, depression I mean, or something. Or. It was, it, it, I, I, try, I, I definitely learned, like I learned how to edit video at the time, thinking, okay, that's, that's my, what I can fall back on uh-huh. if I need to. Um, I actually took courses. I did some video stuff. I did it. I did it for our skate team, obviously, but I actually did it for other companies, uh, sort of freelance. And that was sort of that was my backup plan. Uh huh. Uh, so there was no. <laughs> that, that's that's fascinating to me because uh, people who listen to this show they know about me. I always talk about my rock bottom moment as a professional athlete. It was when I led the league and dropped passes, and I was depressed, and I started drinking, and it was like okay, it was like my world was crashing in around me. Uh, but that you went through that and it didn't, you didn't take that attitude. You were like, okay, well then I'll just do this. I'll just do this. And I'll just keep looking for ways to, to keep skating, but then enjoying life. It was, was am I right by saying yeah, that? I, um, yeah, it was, it was just more, I mean, some of it was out of uh, necessity. Uh-huh. Some was out of desperation, but most of it was just because I, I just loved skating and I couldn't give it up. And, and I think the funny part is that, like I said, I started a skate company, but I was still skating really well. And I kept learning new tricks. It's kind of like you're learning these new tricks with no audience. Okay. Um, and then suddenly the X Games came around and I was at the top of my game. Uh-huh. Is and, that when everything changed for you? That, uh, when things I got back on track? After the second or third X Games. I mean, that was definitely a, a catalyst uh-huh. for skating coming back around. Yeah. Um, and, and for my name recognition, because they were focused. I mean, they, they, they highlighted me quite a bit on the X Games because people knew my name from the 80s. And they, and, and within the first year I was doing well in every contest, like in every discipline I was doing well. Uh-huh. And so it was like to the, to the skater that, that was casual in the eighties, they saw that and they were like, Oh, Tony Hawk's back. I never went anywhere. Uh-huh. I just never had any coverage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so that puts you back on the map. Absolutely. I guess. Yeah. And you start clothing company. You start hitting all yeah. the commercial side of it too. Was that part of a master plan? No, I no master plan. I mean, uh-huh. all, all of it was was unbelievable. Um, yeah, I wish I I wish I could be that. <laughs> That's savvy. I, I wish I could have <laughs> seen into the future that far that I could have made a master plan like that. But um, no, it was it was the X Games started coming on the scene. That was the thing kids were watching. Suddenly, I started getting bigger endorsement deals, Club Med, Bagel Bites, and it was like, oh, this is, this is crazier than I have ever imagined. Uh-huh. Um, and then around the same time was when we started working on the video game. Um, and that was just more of a fun passion project. Like that was not something I ever imagined would, would be a huge success because for one, video games were early. You know, not that many people had a home system and skating was still obscure. Mm-hmm. So to combine those things was like, good luck. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking in my head right now, do you set goals? Because you said you never really looked that far ahead. It was, my, my goals were, all, were always very short term. Uh-huh. So Is that how you recommend, like I know you have four kids yeah. or anybody that you I have, mentor. I have, four, I have four of my own and they have two stepchildren. And two stepchildren. So you yeah. got six of them. Now. Yeah. Is that something you would tell kids? You'd like, because I got four kids and I'm like, do, do you set long-term goals or do you say, hey, set short-term goals? No, just, I, I think it's just more short-term. I mean, for sure th- there could be some, some great directive that you're going towards, especially if you're going to school for a certain career. Obviously there's, there's the goal for there, but I yeah. feel like you've got to set, you've got to set shorter goals, more attainable ones. And also um, learning everything about your craft. Like some of the goals I set were to learn some street maneuver that I, I had no business doing. Cause I was a ramp skater. 
but it was like a personal challenge to me and benefited me greatly in the end because now I can skate any terrain. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if I, if, if, some, if I show up to a skate park, I know there's at least one or two things that I got going there that probably no one else can do uh-huh. because I really went out of my comfort zone and learned yeah. this other skill set. Um, I mean, that's very specific to skateboarding, but uh, in terms of say business, like we started the, uh, we started hot clothing with my siblings and I started it because we all had kids in uh, the mid nineties and we couldn't find any cool clothes for our kids. It was all just like dress them up like little soldiers, you know, it was like Oshkosh bagosh and suspenders. And <laughs> uh-huh. it was like, why can't we just have miniature skate and surf clothes? Yeah. And so we started doing it ourselves. And that took off. And, and it and took almost- off. Yeah. I mean, they, it was licensed to Quicksilver and then eventually to Kohl's and, and now we're with um, Apex and you know, we're, we're 20 years in. Uh-huh. I, I love this. The whole, the clothing company, the, the, the video games. I mean, it was the number one video game or right. Am I, yeah. yeah no, I mean that, that, that was the, the but not craziest. Huge. Yeah. I mean that, that changed my life. People that, that aren't even skateboarders or whatever. It's like they're playing this game and they're seeing Tony Hawk all the time. I mean, how did that change things for you? Um, well, I don't care about financially, like emotionally, like people seeing you. Well, it changed star. in the sense that, I got, I, I was able to choose my own destiny after that because mm-hmm. it was like, I was still chasing competitions. I was still chasing endorsements. I was still trying to make a living. You know, it was, it was more lucrative than ever, but it still wasn't something that it was that long-term necessarily. And when the game came out, it was like, oh, this is crazy. This is, this is way more than I ever imagined. And now I don't have to go to every contest. Uh-huh. to have, to have name recognition or to stay relevant. Uh-huh. Um, I could do a tour of my own uh-huh. and I did. And that's, I think it just, it just allowed me this freedom to really chase dreams that I, I could have only imagined, but never had the resources for. So I love that though, because you, I'm sure it was lucrative too. Now you have a chance to say, you know, a lot of people think, oh, if I ever had that money or that type of fame, I'd just relax and I would just go sit on a beach somewhere and I would just travel around. I'd relax every once in a while, but you didn't do that. You're saying, now I'm going to go pursue even more of what I want to do. Yeah. And I don't know that many people, like I I, I do know a handful of people that have had massive success financially. They don't slow down. Mm -mm. There's something else. There's something that motivates them that they just like to be challenged. Mm -hmm. And no one is just resting on their accolades or, you know, sipping umbrella drinks by the pool. Like, sure, you can get a taste of that, but at some point it gets old. Uh-huh. Um, and I feel the same way. Like, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm more motivated than ever. I'm 51. I'm still considered somehow a relevant pro skater. And I'm more motivated than ever than, than to do new projects and, and to explore what else is possible through skateboarding. Mm-hmm. So you, you, something that's been well-documented for you. And I think you, when did you do the, the 900? Uh, 1999. 1999. Yeah. So the, the clothing company's already been off. The, the, uh, it was, the video it, game yeah. has already been off to the race. No, okay. Like, so the video game, actually that, that was interesting. That, that was like the perfect storm of timing. We had been working on the video game for two years uh-huh. prior to that. And when that happened, it, it definitely elevated my profile and, and sort of made skating crossover into a different um, audience in terms of recognition and understanding. And that was all, so, I mean, there's a lot of people that somehow think I had this master plan. It was, I, I've been trying 900s for almost 10 years at that point. Uh-huh. I wish I had done it earlier. Like I wish I had done it any time and not broke my rib and not you know, gotten so destroyed uh-huh. through the attempts. But when I finally did do it, the game just happened to be on track to be released a few months later. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So it was like the perfect storm of, of hype and then excitement because who's that guy? Did you see that 900 thing? That guy's got a video game coming out and, and it took off. Oh, it took off. So the 900, I remember um, seeing the tape. I wasn't watching it live, but you did it and it was after the competition was over, right? Yeah. And then you just kept doing it and kept going, right? And you, 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 you kept missing it. Yeah. And, and then you hit it. 10 years you said you were working on that. I never knew that. 10 yeah, years you were th- working from the, on that From thing? the first time I ever tried it, yeah. And so when you're working for something like that, why that particular day? And what was your mental practice going up to that? I know you're doing it out there physically. I'm sure you're working on it whenever you wanted to, whenever the mood struck. But did you do that? Did you ever visual, visualize 
your competitions, visualize you landing 900. No. Is that part well, of your process at all? I definitely, every time that I try a trick, if I really am pursuing a trick, I visualize myself making it. That's uh -huh. always the go-to. Uh -huh. Because if I, if I ever think about some worst case scenario, that's what's gonna happen. Or if I think I'm not capable of doing it, then I won't be able to do it. Uh -huh. it, it doesn't happen by accident. It's not like you just like, oh, I did it. That's crazy. I didn't even think that was possible. It was just more like, I know I have the skill set to do this. I've, I've done every step of it in terms of like, I knew how to spin 720. I knew how to land. I've spun my body this way. I just haven't figured out the right way to position myself for that last part. Mm -hmm. And so that was what I struggled with all the years trying it. I had committed to doing it a few times and that's when I got hurt. At one point I broke my rib just because I was leaning too far forward on the landing. Like I landed the trick, I was leaning forward and then I hit the bottom of the ramp uh -huh. and sort of bounced up. And then that's when I broke my rib. And so it was hard to get to that commitment stage after that. Mm -hmm. And I think I did that in 1996, that's when I got hurt. So through the years, I would, I would come back to it every once in a while. I would try it. Sometimes I would put it on the wall, but I never really had that, that fire that was like, I'm gonna put it this one. Uh -huh. And fast forward to that night, I didn't plan to do it that night. Uh -huh. I had a different trick in mind, which was a varial 720, which means that I do a 720 spin and my board does an extra 180. So my board is a 900 and I do a 720. I'd only done it once before, but, but I, it, the, the event was the best, trick the best trick contest. So it was like, that's my best trick. That's the one I can do. That's what I got planned. And I made that trick halfway into the event. Uh huh. And it was the announcer who knew me pretty well that was like, what, what are, you, are we gonna see a 900 from Tony? Yeah. And it was like, dude, <laughs> what? I had no plan to try that. Yeah. And then it was like, all right, I'll throw one for the crowd. Like that was pretty much my, my attitude it was like, all right, well, here's what one looks like. <laughs> and then I tried one and it was like, oh, that, that felt pretty good actually. Oh really? Tried okay. it again and had the same spin. Using my spin was like one was good and then two or three were bad and then one was good. And so it was really hard to, which one do I commit to? That night, because the ramp was so solid and we didn't have really quality ramps like that at the time, I was getting the right amount of speed. I was getting the right amount of pitch. And on my third or fourth try, I was like, I think I'm like, this is more consistent than ever. I think I should probably try to make one. Uh -huh. And that's when I started putting it on the wall. Uh -huh. And at that point, I guess this, is the, this was the long answer to your question. At that point, that's when, in my mind, I was like, you're gonna make this huh. or you're getting taken away in an ambulance. Those are the only two choices. Uh -huh. I don't care how tired you get. I don't care what, you know, how ridiculous it is, how late it is, you're gonna make it. Like that was, that was it. And, and I didn't care if it counted towards the competition. I didn't even think they were gonna air it because it was supposed to be live uh -huh. on TV. So I was like, well, they're not gonna let this contest go 20 minutes long. Um, you know, I'm gonna keep trying this. I don't care if the, it's like the, it's uh -huh. like that song, the, um, the distance, you know, like the, <laughs> the crowd has left and the moon has come up and, and I was going to be there trying 900s. Really? No matter what. I love that. Yeah. And I think that explains a lot why you're, why you're here sitting down talking about it this way. What about the, the fear? You said you got hurt. I'm, you're like a football, you're an athlete, like a football player yeah. or whatever. We get hurt. Sure. And you have to come back from these injuries how do you keep coming back even to attempt? You said you broke your rib on it, trying right. to attempt it before. How do you get over that fear of, of going out there and attempting something new, knowing that it hurt you before? I think, well, with that trick, especially, I knew th the crucial mistake I made when I did break my rib. And it took that night to really figure out how to remedy that, mm -hmm. how to remedy that, that what I was doing wrong. And luckily I had that consistency of that really good ramp to help me along with it. And so the key for me was to shift my weight just a little bit so that I wasn't leaning forward, but I wasn't leaning too far back. But to come back from an injury, I learned that when I was a little kid, like the, the first true injury I had skateboard, skateboarding, I had a concussion, knocked my front teeth out. And I think I, no, I didn't, I, I, I sprained my wrist. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times, if something like that happens, especially when you're, I was 10 or 11, when that kind of thing happens, like that is tragic. Like your parents are telling you you're never skating again, yeah. or you're telling yourself that. 
And when I did that, I remember vividly waking up in the ambulance and everyone's like, you okay, okay? And I said, I said, what, what happened? You said, oh, the, you did, oh yeah, I hung up on a rock and roll. Oh man, I got to figure out how to put my feet in the right place. <laughs> like that was like, uh, I'm, I'm feeling no teeth here uh, with my tongue saying that out loud. Yeah. And that was, I think that was a, a, a pivotal moment for me because it was like, I don't care about getting hurt. I want to keep doing this. Yeah. Yeah. And it, well, as a guy who caught the ball for a living football, yeah. people are like, how do you go over the middle and catch the ball? Knowing this guy's going to knock the hell out of you. Especially back when I played, the rules have changed now. And it's one of those things like just, I don't even know how to, to pinpoint it. It's like, you just do. I, I loved what I was doing. And, and even if you get hit, it. It, but even if you it. get hit, it's expected. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not, it, it doesn't always have to be tragic, but it is something that comes with the territory and you have yeah. to accept that. I mean, I, I, like I saw a, a friend of mine who I skate with all the time. He's one of the best ramp skaters in the world, Jimmy Wilkins, just a few weeks ago. Um, we had my loop set up, you know, a full 360 ramp and he went around it. it like it's something you've got to learn. It's something you've got to be kind of obsessed with to do. Uh -huh. He went around it, came out the end, fell forward like, Oh, he's got it. We got it. You got it. Yeah, we're all cheering him on. And the next one, just he missed the pump. He went flying around, broke his pelvis, broke one arm and his wrist. Oh. And as, as terrible as that seemed and, and as shocking as it was to see, we're all there like, it happens. Game. Yeah. Like it's, you know, it, I, we don't want that to be part of the game, but that is part of the game. Uh -huh. And that's why there are so few elite players in the game. Uh-huh. And- that's that's part of what this the show is kind of about like if what would you say to somebody out there saying i i hear what you're saying i love what i'm doing uh because it could be business it doesn't matter like how do you push past that boundary and say screw it i have to go well it's all about risk and how comfortable you are with risk mm -hmm. whether it be physical or financial it's just more like yeah the more risk the more reward that's really what it's about right mm-hmm um, and, and sometimes you got to be willing to take that gamble uh -huh. and I've definitely gambled it and lost. Uh-huh. Or about bear that you, you, you broke your pelvis, didn't you? Or something I did. Like that? Yeah. You actually on the loop, <laughs> on the loop. I on did. The yeah. And by the way, I want to make Different sure that people loop. know what the loop, it's like, uh, it's like a hot evil, wheels evil Knievel, it's a hot right? wheels track yeah, hot all wheels the way track. around. Yeah. Except you're doing that with a skateboard. With a skateboard. Yeah. <laughs> and so you heard, you were out for a year, couldn't walk. I right? was, I was out for about, I was, I was not walking for two months. Oh. Uh, I started skating about another month later and then it, it took me a good year to get my confidence, my tricks back uh -huh. for sure. And, uh -huh. and that was another, that was another test for me where how much do you love skating? And I just, I, I love it. I, I love it at the cost of <laughs> my well being, uh -huh. at the cost of, of my body. I want to get back out there. Uh -huh. And it wasn't because I wanted to get back out there to get paid. I just wanted to get back out there. Uh huh. Do you still skate? You still, you yeah, still do a yeah, little like, like sure. that type, you know, you're not going that gnarly anymore, are you? Or? Um, no, I don't really, I, I don't have the desire to do the, the sort of death defying moves anymore. I've learned to reshape my focus into tricks that are more technical and lower impact. And it's really been, it's been refreshing. It's been uh, liberating because it's now it's like, I've got this other style of tricks that I can do and I can keep trying new stuff and survive the day uh -huh. to go try it again. Uh -huh. um, it's been really fun. I, and, and it's kind of like, it's very niche, like the tricks that I'm doing, uh, you know, it's a very specific type of skating audience that would understand it or, or, or respect it, but I don't care. It keeps me progressive. Yeah, yeah, well, I keep, I'm looking for the next thing. Obviously I can't play football Well, anymore. here we are, look at this, <laughs> isn't this one of them? Uh, well, I'm doing that, I'm talking about sport wise. <laughs> I need to, you know, I wanna try surfing more. I, I grew up surfing a little bit, but do you surf at all? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's got that's fun, right? That's got to give so you a little fun, bit yeah. of a you know skateboard sensation, right? Carving up a wave and all that stuff. Oh sure, yeah. I mean, uh -huh. it's it's always challenging too. I mean, uh -huh. half the battle is learning to read waves. Yeah, but you know, are you going out in those big? No, I don't. Twenty I don't, footers. That's what people say. Hawaii. Like they say, well, you know, you you skate twenty foot ramps. Why why don't you want to surf big waves? I go because if I fall, the ramp doesn't come crashing down on top of me. <laughs> uh, um. The Tony Hawk Foundation. What, what was what prompted you to to, to start that? Uh, I saw that skating was was growing um, very quickly, especially in the early two thousands, and 
I felt like there was a very a true lack of facilities. And and when they when a facility would get built, especially they were more in affluent neighborhoods mm-hmm. and they were really poor quality. Like these these parks were embarrassing because the city would say, we need a skate park, and some sidewalk contractor would give them a bid, and it was usually the lowest bid. And they didn't know anything about skating. The city didn't understand the nuances of how to build a skate park. So they just went ahead with it. And then they would build these, these parks that were, were almost worse for skating than the local mall parking lot. Uh-huh. And I saw that happening time and time again. And I just thought, something's got to change here. And I, the original mission was just to bridge the gap between the skaters who wanted the facilities and the cities providing them. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know how to really direct that, but that was the original goal. But then I realized in terms of funding, we should be funding parks where kids are far more challenged, where kids have more difficult circumstances. And that's when it started. Like I went on um, uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Celebrity Edition, Sports Celebrity Edition. Mm -hmm. And I won $125,000. And that was the seed money for the foundation. Really? Oh, good. Good (laughs) <laughs> Who wants to be a millionaire? Oh, I remember that. Show. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, um, I had to call my brother. It was a uh, it was a quote about Hemingway, and he is a literature major. He got it right, and oh, off we went. Bullseye. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, I think you hit something right there. Skating, the way it's changed, uh, everybody skates now. It, I'm talking down in the yeah. hood. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't black Latinos? Uh, everybody skates. Where it was when I was growing up, it was a white sport. Oh yeah. And, and now this is what your, your, your parks, you're putting them everywhere, right? You're I mean, that, that, that's the goal is uh-huh. uh, one of our early projects was Compton mm-hmm. and you know, Compton is such a iconic city for various reasons, but obviously there, you know, there, there are negative connotations sometimes about it. And the fact that we could build a world-class skate park or at least um, help them with the resources to get one done. That was a really huge uh, boost for us in terms of, showing that a place like that could have a park and how much use it will get. And I really, if you go to any park, any day of the week, they're used from sunup to sundown. I can't say that about every other sports field or facility. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I talked to, it's funny because I, I did an interview with Pharrell not too long ago and Pharrell was talking about growing up skating in Virginia and he was like, everyone just said it was a white boy sport. What are you yeah. doing with this white boy sport? Yeah. And now it doesn't matter. Yeah. In fact, we just did a study. This is pretty cool. We just did a study with USC about the effects of skate parks and who uses them and what it means and, and how it helps empower youth. And there was a, a big population of kids that said, they said, um, you know, I love skating there. And, and black kids that said, if I'm cruising down the street somewhere, or if I'm walking down the street somewhere, there's sort of a vibe of uneasiness around me. If I'm carrying a skateboard, it's gone. Uh-huh. Where, oh, that guy's cool. He's riding a skateboard. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and to me, that was, that was really enlightening. Like, that's, that's amazing. Uh-huh. And the same kid said, yeah, I'm, I'm not even the best skater in my crew, but because I'm black, my friends think I'm super cool and uh-huh. I'm way better than I am. <laughs> and all that stuff to me was, was really fascinating yeah. because I never realized how far that would resonate. Yeah. Yeah. I know for, uh, for me growing up in Huntington, um, being on a skateboard, I really believe people talk about, I, I played basketball too, and I was a pretty good basketball player. And people think, okay, well, that's why you're such a good football player. And it does have a little bit to do with that. But skateboarding, you talk about balance. Yeah. And for everything, I really think, because I rode a skateboard for three years. That was my mode of transportation. It wasn't just yeah. about tricks either. I was like, that's how I got to school. That's how I got to the park. That's how I got everywhere. I, uh, you talk about a good foundation for kids, for balance. And like, I can... I can go skiing now, I can snowboard, I can pick up surfing, I can do all that stuff really easy. And I really believe that's because of that foundation of skateboarding. So skateboarding is also good for your athleticism sure. um, as yeah. well. And, but, so. I, but I do think that also the, the bottom line is it's so inclusive, especially now with, with everyone, with, with uh, girls, with minorities, like it, it's just this, this melting pot. And if you go to a skate park, like you really see this diversity that you don't mm-hmm. see very many places. And people really working with each other and looking out for each other. And um, I love it. I love that it's come to that. Uh-huh. And uh, if I had anything to do with that, I'm hugely proud of it. Oh, well, you have, bro. Um, what, what's up with the next, touch on that a little bit, the next generation of skaters. Uh, 
Who do you have your eye on? Is there anybody oh, out there man, you're saying, okay, so this many. guy there's is so taking much the mantle? Talent. Is it? Yeah, it's uh-huh. hard. I, you know, I obviously I'm more of a ramp skater. So the guys that I think are are really incredible on ramp is Jimmy Wilkins, who just got hurt, but is going to come back. Um, Moda Shibata, this guy from Japan who can do like the, the hardest vert tricks combined with a lot of old school stuff. So he's got a really cool balance. Um, street, there's just the sea of talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, probably the guy to look out for, because I know this video is coming out, is Cater Silla. Um, Cater is a kid from Los Angeles and has been like kind of the, like, oh, that kid's, you know, he's small, he's really good, but he's gonna blow doors. Um, mm-hmm. And then with the Olympics coming up, um, you know, a guy like Nigel Houston's gonna be the favorite. He's already this incredible talent. Like he's he's like a machine in terms of how technical and how accurate he is. And when he goes into a venue like the Olympics, people are gonna see just how truly talented he is. Mm-hmm. So after, um, you said you're still skating though, but seeing somebody who's a pioneer, so who's come from the beginning of it and watch it and watched it grow. And, and where it is now, like, how does that, how does that feel to know that you were part of that? Uh, it's, it's incredible. I honestly, the, the, the really fun part for me is that I still get to be involved. Mm-hmm. And so I get to see it, not just from, not just from a, a, you know, an outside perspective, but, but to, to be part of it still, and to be considered someone who can still do it. Um, that's the most fun, but, but really it's just been so, it's been a blast. Like to see someone, for instance, um, Lizzie Armanto is our, is, is female skater on our team. Mm -hmm. Uh, I saw her come up as this little girl that could kind of skate pools when she was 14, 15. And now she's, she's a household name. Uh She's going to be in the Olympics. Like to, to, to be able to have something to do with that those opportunities and that growth is, is what gives me the most excitement. Like, uh-huh. like was the biggest sense of pride. And so, um, yeah, I'm excited, but at the same time, um, I could never figure out why skateboarding wasn't that big uh-huh. when I was a kid. It, it hit all the marks. Like it spoke to me in terms of being creative, in terms of being daredevil, in terms of being accessible. And I couldn't figure out why the general public hadn't caught on to that. Like, why, why don't they understand that what we're doing is, is valid and uh-huh. hard? Um, and, uh, and now it, that is what's happening. Yeah. I mean, kids choose to skate as easily as they choose to play soccer these days. Yeah, they do. I mean, my kid is asking for a skateboard. And I'm like, right. for sure. Go yeah. ahead, go for it, bro. Um, speaking of that, with your, with your, um, you talk about your young self. What advice would you give to that 14-year-old Tony? Knowing now, what would you tell that kid? Uh, I would tell him, if you get the opportunity to do a TV show wearing a monkey suit, do not try to do the loop. Because <laughs> you're going to break your pelvis. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd, honestly, I would, I would say, I would say um, uh, what would I say? I would say... Uh, don't get distracted. Keep doing what you love. And uh-huh. even though it gets hard, it's going to be the best thing you've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, but why would, I, why would I want to ruin all the surprise for myself? Really? <laughs> yeah. Because it was fun, right? Um, I, I saw this, um, I guess it went viral, a little Twitter clip of, of you and your daughter getting her to go down a oh, little yeah, ramp. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I couldn't really hear the volume, though. What oh. was... What, what, what do you do in those situations for your kids? You got, um, you got six kids. Yeah. Like how I, do you teach them? That they're all different. Uh-huh. They all need different encouragement. Um, she is the most hesitant for mm-hmm. sure. So I know that that clip feels like it's in real time where it takes a long time. That, that's just the last minute of this sort of 20 minute battle that it took we her had. 20 minutes to get down that. Kind of, yeah. Uh-huh. And, and it, was, it was more that I want her to. I want her to do it. I don't want her to feel pressured, but I want to encourage her. And there's a fine line between uh-huh. giving sort of too much pressure or demand on it. And so I kind of let her figure it out for herself. I, I worked her way up to it. Like the things you didn't see there was that I would, I would go down with her holding her hands. Uh-huh. And then at one point I, I did it with her just holding one hand. And then at some point when I was holding her hand, I, I kind of purposely let it go. And then that was the 
to convince her that you've done it by yourself already. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I was there to catch you, but you really have gone through the motion. So you've got to do it by yourself. And, and that for her was at least enough to get her there to stand there and consider it. Yeah. And then she had this habit of, I, what you're asking, you didn't hear. She had this habit of leaning towards me whenever she'd go. And so I said, you've got to go that way. Don't go towards me. That's what I'm saying in the clip. Uh -huh. Like, don't come this way. You're going to fall. Go that way. Because uh -huh. you don't need to come to me. And it's going to make you get hurt. Yeah. And then she's like, well, then just stand over there. <laughs> and I said, well, then I'm going to be in your way. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was where she realized like, okay, the only choice I have left is just to do it. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. And that's so good. I don't, I don't, I'm going to rewind real quick just because skateboarding is a, it's not a team sport. I know you said right. you had your crew with you, but when you're out there, yeah. you're by yourself. You're by yourself. Sure. And yeah. I mean, there's, you don't have a coach, do you? There's no, you can definitely have people encouraging you and giving you tips and techniques, but, but when it comes down to it, you've got to, you got to do it yourself. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that's what drew me to it is that I, I found this thing that I could do in my own voice. I didn't have to listen to a coach. I didn't have to have a team rely on me. And I'm not downplaying team sports. Like I understand the value of teamwork and, yeah. and, and how you can be a team player and you can make incredible things happen if you're working together. But I didn't like that when I was a kid, if I struck out, I let the whole team down. Uh -huh. Like that, that was not okay with me. Uh -huh. and, uh, and when I skated, I was only letting myself down and... Or, or doing it myself and, and being self-motivated. And it taught me so much more about um, self-confidence than anything else I'd done. Yeah. And that's why I stuck with it. Yeah. See, my daughter plays tennis and I'm, I'm a team sport guy. Right. I grew up in, and she's out there by herself. You're not allowed to coach. You're just watching her. Right. Oh, it's so, and I'm sure you're going to have this if your daughter pursues this, but it's a good thing. Letting them you have to, you have oh, to handle yeah. it yourself. And, and, and yeah. Just to, yeah. And, and like I said, I want her to play team sports too, but, but at some point I want her to believe in herself. Mm -hmm. um, okay. We're almost done here. I want to shift now to, to little biohacks. I always love learning about people's uh, <laughs> okay. little habits. And one big thing that I'm a big believer in is sleep. Um, it's it, to me, it's probably the number one thing you can do to up your play. You know, just getting a good night's rest. Right. Are you a big sleeper? Is that something you're uh, conscious of? I, I try, but but we still have kids in school, so uh -huh. you know we're generally up helping them um, until nine at night, if not later. Uh -huh. And if I had my way, I would be already cozy in bed, watching TV at nine o'clock. Uh -huh. Are you early, early riser? <laughs> yeah, up? we're up. We're up at six thirty every day. Six thirty. You guys yep. go to bed around ten o'clock, ten thirty, eleven. Mm. Somewhere between ten and midnight. Uh huh. Um, and it's hard, you know, when you get to be our age, uh, it, it's hard to, to really embrace sleeping in, even on weekends. Like uh -huh. I want to, God, if I could sleep till 10, 10 a.m., be awesome. Uh -huh. But I just can't. My body just yeah, body's wakes up. up. Ready yeah. to rock. Yeah. Um, do you meditate? I are don't. You, uh -uh. Are you spiritual? Anything like that? Um, to, to an extent, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I got to believe that some things I just can't change and and I have to accept the outcome, but, uh, and also to, at the very least, put out support and positive vibes to other people. Uh -huh. I, well, I think a lot of it, especially surfers, as I surfed, I remember there's nothing like being out on the water, on your board. Uh, I, I, I go yeah, to see, I'm, I'm way too impatient for that. that that's uh -huh. what drives me crazy about surfing, is, is waiting for swells. Really? Yeah, like that, that, you know, wait, waiting for the next wave is like, Come on. Uh-huh. Really? <laughs> yeah. So you're impatient like that. Okay. Uh, That's why I love skating. That is literally why I loved it in the first place. Cause you step on a skateboard and it's action. Uh-huh. It's nonstop action. I'm not waiting for someone to throw a pitch. I'm not waiting for someone to pass it to me. I'm not waiting for the wave to show up. Yeah. I can just go. Instant action. Yeah. So you don't like sitting around. Do you like being quiet? I don't. Um, I'm learning to appreciate it more. Yes. Uh-huh. Really? So, yeah. so you, like you in a room alone, by yourself, not that's not your thing. Not really, no. Solidarity is not your thing. Like going for a no, walk by yourself. Do, no. you, do you go for and walks? Do you do what do you do when to, to get away from the noise, get away from everything? How do you quiet your mind? Um honestly, I'm I'm usually just trying to do something with my kids. Uh-huh. And that's sort of that takes me out of the obligation to try to get things done or to do business things. It's more like, what do you guys want to do? Uh-huh. Let me facilitate that. Yeah. Yeah. What uh what trick are you most proud of? 
Uh, wow, that's tricky. Um, no pun intended. Uh, I think the one trick, it's, it's not, I guess it's not like the, the one that people think is the most breakthrough, but, but I learned how to do a 540 spin without grabbing my board, Ollie 540, also called an Ollie McTwist. And when I learned how to do that, it really changed my perspective on what's possible on a skateboard because I realized that I could spin around and not even hold on to the board, but keep it on my feet. Mm -hmm. And it was something that people, when I first started trying it, it was a joke. Like I, I did this like, ah, what if we did this? Ollie McTwist. And then at some point I started keeping my board on my feet longer and then I just figured out how to do it. Yeah. And, and it, it was, like I said, it was like a breakthrough of skate type of tricks where it was like, oh, wow, you can do this stuff without really holding your board on your feet. Uh -huh. I feel like that's kind of a trend with you. That's what I'm seeing right now. You, you do a lot of stuff, just, just purely let's, let's have some fun. And then, oh shit, I can actually do this. Oh yeah. It, a lot it, of tricks happen like that. It seems like that's, yeah. That's probably, you know, the, the best way to do it. It is, yeah, because, because no it's, just, like, just like that night with the 900, I didn't go in there planning to even try one. Uh -huh. And because it was spontaneous and because suddenly I felt, I, I felt that fire, that's how it worked. If I had gone there with only one directive and only thought about doing that, it probably wouldn't have happened. Uh -huh. You know, I'm starting, like I said, as I sit and I sit here and talk to people more about this, this leveling up stuff and being the best version of yourself, I'll, you think the old school, the people like you got to work your ass off, you got to set goals, and you got to be disciplined. It doesn't. It doesn't go that way. It, it seems like it's just. Well, there are benefits to those things work. to a certain extent, but it uh -huh. can't guide your whole direction. Uh huh. Uh huh. Interesting. I love it. I love it. Um, what's the craziest thing you've ever done on a skateboard? I read, and by uh, the way, I read about you jumping over two buildings. Uh, or that saw was probably it. I think it was the, yeah. That was probably oh. the most senseless thing I did. <laughs> yeah. I, I jumped between two seven story buildings, downtown LA for an MTV show. Uh -huh. Um, only because, I mean, really it was more because I thought it would be a cool visual <laughs> and because I had jumped this thing that was, it was about 18 feet across, which at the time was huge. Nowadays they're doing like 70 foot gaps. Uh -huh. But, but at that moment it was like, it's 20 feet across. That's crazy. And I was like, well, but we do that quite a bit. And I've never fallen in the middle uh -huh. ever. Um, and the idea that, that I could command, not command, but that I had the opportunity through MTV for someone to rent two buildings, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. And, and to get approval and to build a ramp, like that's just crazy. Yeah. It's a pretty sweet visual though. That yeah. Is, and so I was cool. like, yeah, if they're going to pay for that, I'll do it. Sure. <laughs> oh, your poor mother. Did you, my mom would, actually, my mom would like that probably. Crazy. Would you? <laughs> yeah, I didn't really tell that many people I was doing it. <laughs> um, 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 food. Are you a healthy eater? You, uh, uh, I, I try to stay, I try to lean to healthy food, but every once in a while I got to indulge and you know, I'll do tasting menus and eat all the weird stuff. Uh huh. When you do indulge, okay. How about? Well, I always ask this question: What's your What's your last meal? What's the thing that that uh that you're going out with? Oh man, I've never been asked that. That would be really hard. Wow. You'd be amazed at some of the answers some some people give. Very. Surprising. I would go Can't with a, a very curated sushi tasting menu. See, that's what I'm talking about. About damn time. I've had, I, I, Deion Sanders was over here last week yeah. and he was, Popeye's chicken was his. Oh yeah. No, I was, I'm appalled. Nothing against Popeye. I don't actually. Cause don't he doesn't have to wait in line if it's his last meal. <laughs> oh my, but so like a nice omakase tasting sushi yeah, menu. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, yeah. there's a place up here, Sushi Zo. Yeah, Sushi Zo. I know yeah. Sushi Zo. Yeah. Th like that would be kind of the, the vibe for sure. Uh -huh. There's one in San Diego um, along the same lines called the Hidden Fish. Uh-huh. Oh, I love it. Okay. Just talking about that now, I got to make reservations. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> Just in case I'm going out. <laughs> uh, okay. And at that dinner, if you had your last dinner and you get to invite three people, who would you invite? Oh, living living or dead? Living or dead in history? Um, Fictional or I don't care. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Uh, I would invite my wife because she is one of the most interesting people I know and super funny and engaging. And then I would invite my dad because my dad didn't, ever get to meet her. Uh -huh. He died in 1995. Uh, uh -huh. And that was, um, that was around the time that I first met her, but not when we started dating or anything. Um, but for him to 
realize how far I've come. I mean, I get to tell him all about this crazy success I've had, but also to meet the love of my life. Like that would be it. Oh. Although he would hate sushi. <laughs> you get one more guest. Who would you, who else? Who would be a third one? Oh, three guests. Um, wow. wow. You can make me, you know, if you don't want anybody else, you don't have to have anybody else. Um, I would bring, I invite my mom because she's had Alzheimer's for the last 15 years. Uh-huh. So to have her in a clear sense of, of mind uh-huh. would be really cool. Yeah. Uh, I love that answer. That's good. Yeah. That's a great one. My Most mom and dad and my wife. There you yeah. go. <laughs> Keep it in the family. Uh, final question. Um, everything about here is leveling up, being open. What's one area of your life that you'd like to improve in that you're wide open to learning more about? Um, I want to be more connected to my kids mm-hmm. because they. we have three in college now. We have um, two at home. And I feel like my my career and my choices as well pulled me away from them quite a bit in their formative years. I mean, I was there, but, but I was traveling a lot and sometimes I would take, I would take them with me, but, but that was maybe not their first choice. And so I just want to be more connected with them and really understand what they're going through and what they want to do with their life. Mm. Um, Cause they're, they're all awesome. They're all so different too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kids are. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what, bud? Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, Thanks for listening to Wide Open. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on all podcast platforms. And hit me up on social media at TonyGonzalez88. Love to hear from you, answer any questions, uh, and just wanted to say thank you.